All right. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Lewis and Lucas podcast. I am half of the Lewis and Lucas podcast. I'm Lucas Roberts. Joining me is Lewis. How are you doing today, Lewis? I'm doing great. Good. How are you doing? I'm a little nervous, honestly, because uh, we had a poll on Twitter about what our next topic should be. Uh, my atheism journey, my personal journey from Christianity it took quite a few <laughs> twists and turns into atheism. I was a, identified as an atheist for seven years, uh, up until this year, actually. Yeah, when I first met you, you were an atheist. That was actually my first interaction with you. Well, I mean, we had other interactions, I think, on Taleb and that kind of stuff. But my first in-depth interaction was uh, was about atheism. So. Correct. Yeah, we had a big email chain going back and forth about uh, you were giving uh, Christian apologetics and I was, you know, retorting with, you know, whatever atheism atheist apologetics yeah <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah i guess yeah. That, that's the term for it yeah 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 um so, and it's interesting i think i mentioned this when we had been emailing back and forth but uh yeah i self-identified as an atheist for a very short period of time you know back in my late high school years early college years i would have probably identified as an atheist um my <clears throat> i don't know whether i fall fell into any of the um typical categories of an atheist, but I definitely would have, um, if you asked me, I would have probably said that. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I think everybody as anyone who has any particular type of faith goes through a process of, is this actually true? Which is, I think is healthy. You have to wrestle with these ideas and make them your own. Don't just don't just believe things just because. Well, this is what my parents and grandparents and everybody else believes, so therefore I believe it by proxy. You should wrestle with these own ideas and make them your own. Yeah, although um, I tell my kids, and I actually tell everybody this, is that um, there's a book called. Now I'm blanking on the name of the book, but basically lays out the case, and this is absolutely true, is that. Um, it is not illogical to trust the testimony of other people. And mm -hmm. if you have smart parents, good parents that you love and trust that generally make good decisions, there's no lack of rationality to embrace their religion. And you don't need to start from scratch and, and say, is this, you know, like, is it this or is it atheism? Like that, that's a very modern American idea. Um, but you know, historically. What, what about empirical evidence, Lewis? What about <laughs> evidence that you can tangibly measure yourself? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, let's get. We'll get into that. So yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll let you tell your uh, tell your For story sure. here, and then we'll uh, we'll dig into some of those kind of questions. And and so before I get started, big shout out to all of our Twitter followers. We Twitter's our big social media platform that Lewis and I use to interact with everybody. Follow us. Uh, I after the episode, I'll post a thread breaking down what we talked about and also the resources that we hit upon. I'll try and find that book that Lewis was talking about and put that in there too. It's a great. The thread is a great way to just see. You don't have to just take our word for it, what we're talking about on the podcast. You can look at the resources, the things that we cite, and see it for yourself. So I grew up. I, I, my parents met in the military. And I was born 
while we were still on a military base. My Christian, my parents were Christian. My mom took that stuff more seriously. She was raised Catholic and came to a Protestant understanding of God and got saved, all that stuff before she had me. And part one of her religious convictions was homeschooling her children. It was important to her that the education of her children was not left to government schools. So this is back in the 90s. It's interesting. You're, I'm, I'm watching that conversation happen again in real time as during due, due to COVID and due to other woke stuff happening across the nation, people are really re-examining homeschooling, which is really, really interesting for me as somebody who grew up in a homeschooling environment. So yeah, I have two brothers. We were all- I saw, I saw a funny meme because uh, the argument back in the 90s was always like, your kids won't turn out normal. Like if you homeschool them, they oh, won't yeah. turn out normal. <laughs> Um, but the, uh, I saw a meme recently that it, it was two women talking and one was, uh, said, I'm going to homeschool my kids. And the other says, uh, well, they won't turn out normal. And the response was Janet, your daughter is on three different ang anti-anxiety medicines mm. and, sh and she got caught twerking at lunch. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Like, yeah. I was just like the public schools are, are not doing a good job of creating normal kids these days that's for no, sure so. no 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 and, and uh i really appreciate my homeschooling upbringing uh, even more so now i never realized like so when you're homeschooling you stay on a subject uh, until you feel like you're done with it so like if you pick up your math book and it's really clicking and you're learning you stay with it you know and if you don't get to history or geography that day because you're doing so much math that's fine you can pick that up tomorrow yeah um or if you if you guys want to go to the national forest and hike around for a day that's you're free to do whatever it's it was really really awesome and the late 90s early 2000s christian subculture that existed was also very unique and interesting i feel like like i remember you know the 90s you had dc talk and newsboys uh different yeah. bands rock bands for christian that christians listen to in the 2000s i had skillet and cutlass yeah was, yeah i the funny thing is is like i was not raised in a christian household okay and um I don't know any of those, but like I hear after I joined kind of the church, I hear people talking about all those bands, but like, and I think for kids raised in Christian households, there, there's a lot of nostalgia there, but like, I don't know any of them. Oh, okay. <laughs> clueless on all of, all of that stuff. Yeah. I'll, I'll have to, I'll make sure to share plenty of that in the thread. Yeah. yeah it was just yeah. a lot of like, I don't, I mean, I go back and listen to it. I don't think, I think it's aged pretty well, the music, especially like, I have a hard time listening to like Lincoln Park. Like I'll go back and listen to that. And it's just, it's just kind of cringe because you're just like, nobody understands me. <laughs> it's very of the moment. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah, relative to the other stuff that was super popular back then, I feel like that it, it held up Christian well. Music yeah. Held up very, yeah. very well. Yeah. So anyway, um, my life radically changed when I was 16. That was when my dad decided to leave. And I, I still don't really know. I, I still talk to my dad, but I don't really know like what his 
conviction about religion and Christianity was. It was mostly my mom that was pushing Christianity and religion, God, all that stuff. My dad never really led those conversations. So he decided to leave. And then uh, I ended up going to a public high school. Now I grew up, my mom is a, has been a staunch Calvinist, her basically her whole Protestant um, coming back to Jesus. What, so very briefly, what is Calvinism? Calvinism is the idea that God is completely sovereign, that nothing happens outside of his will. Um, another big idea is the idea of limited atonement. You know, we're told like John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So people say, well, Jesus died for everybody. So we just have to come and make a profession of faith. Calvinists would say, that Jesus had a limited atonement, that he died only for his elect, for his sheep. There's the goats, right? People who never make a profession of faith. Jesus did not die for them. Uh, we, uh, we're not going to get into Calvinism today, but that's... We should do, uh, at some point in time, like looking at all the Christian denominations, because yeah. I find the subject very interesting. And uh, I don't know where I stand, honestly, on a lot of stuff. I'm kind of in this... Uh, yeah. I'm, I, I'm you know, from an online engagement standpoint, and most of my interactions with people is I'm um, kind of in the C.S. Lewis-y, uh, mere Christianity, um, help people understand that Christianity as a family is true. Um, sure. But in terms of whether Calvinism or Methodism or Armenianism or, or, so or that's, Catholicism, Orthodoxy, like I like those, yeah. I don't even dig into that because I don't feel like I'm either qualified or confident enough in what uh, is the right direction to even, even point well, to. And, in, in, in our circles on Twitter, there's a lot of Eastern Orthodox and mm -hmm. I know next yeah. to nothing about Eastern Orthodox, and I'd be very interested. Yeah, I'd love to it. talk about. Yeah, I know a lot about Eastern Orthodoxy. Is oh, you a do lot of, a lot of good side. Yeah, I know okay. a lot. Of, I like this is my area expertise. You know, nice. like you know, I've uh, I studied. Um, I have a master's of divinity degree, and uh, so I've studied a lot of um, a lot of this stuff. But I've also and a lot of the history of the church, et cetera, et cetera, and also just this is a, a subject that i am so interested in nice. um but okay. uh, yeah anyway um so why do i bring up calvinism because calvinism the idea that god is truly sovereign that nothing happens outside of his will so looking at my home life my dad leaving well if god is truly sovereign and my dad le left then out of God's sovereignty, he preordained that my dad leave my family, right? I, I mean, how can you draw another, if you're a Calvinist, how can you draw another conclusion? So I was starting to become, it, it was hard to go to church after that. You know, I would go with my mom and every, everybody else in the church, their families were intact and everything. I was like, why, like, why, why? does their families get to stay intact and mine has been split apart. So I grew very bitter, very disillusioned. I was probably on my way to atheism at that time, but then I started dating a girl who in high school who was Pentecostal. 
So Pentecostals is a is a a flavor of Protestant Protestants that they're very much into loud, exciting music, speaking in tongues, prophecy, faith healing. If you've ever, if you see like on YouTube, different compilations <clears throat> of faith healers, whatever, those are Pentecostals more often than not. Those are Pentecostals. So I would, I started going to church. Which, by the way, there's family. not, um, you know, within Protestantism, there's, those are the two polar opposites, right? Like, you know, mm. Pentecostalism and Calvinism are on the two opposite <laughs> sides yes. of the spectrum. Um, they call uh, Calvinists the frozen chosen, right? Because, oh, yeah, 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 their services tend to be very buttoned up. You know, the, the whole joke yeah, is you, it's very you know, regimented. If you raise your hand, you've got a question. You don't raise your hand. <laughs> you don't raise your hand out of like praise or whatever. Right, um, right, right. Yeah, and uh, the uh, Pentecostalism, they'll they'll be depending on the denomination, they'll be dancing in the in the aisles and speaking in tongues and yes, stuff. Yes, and so that was like very wild. So that was her church. That was yeah, her church. Yeah. I went to the first service with them, and it was yeah very very different. Obviously, for all of those reasons we just described. But I remember looking at everybody else that was worshiping, like, man, like these people are like super passionate about God. Like God was not sort of this monolith, this idea, this cold father figure that we all sort of pray to. And, you know, he does what he, he does, whatever he wants to do, whatever. For them, God is this active touching people wants to do more if if our faith was only more willing god is ready to answer more prayers to heal more people to give you more answers if only your faith would allow you to reach that sort of that level of consciousness that level of enlightenment <clears throat> and at that first service i remember towards the end like you know, praying, you know, God, you know, help me out. And I remember feeling this very warm, tingly feeling. And I felt like at the time I felt like it was God, like, you know, my dad had abandoned me and now I felt like God was coming and, and becoming my father type of thing. So I was like, there was a lot of tears. There was a lot, all this, it was a very, very, very emotional, which is a, a typical Pentecostal experience that's sort of the goal is to come and have an emotional experience with God and the Holy spirit, all that stuff. So, so I got maybe, maybe you're going to get into this, but um, I'm someone that when it comes to like religious experiences, I always take them at, at face value. So like, it's very common to um, among atheists. And also I, I would say among Calvinists as well um, to take an experience like that and say, well, it wasn't God, it was your emotions. But um, I'm someone that's like, hey, if you thought it was God, it probably was God. Like, I don't know. But right. what are your thoughts? Like, if, I'm kind of similar. Uh, I go uh, back and forth. Like, I'm not, I'm not a cessationist. Uh, cessationist is the, the technical theological term for somebody who believes that prophecy and faith healing, all that stuff, probably happened in the first century, but no longer happens anymore. So cessationism is a big, with in reformed 
Calvinist circles. So usually you're a cessationist. I'm not a card carrying cessationist, I but I still, I wrestle with those. Like, yeah. I, so when I think about that particular experience, yeah, I definitely feel like it was a revelation about God and his, and the, the love that he feels for his people. And yeah, I, okay interesting yeah yeah yeah. cool so um so yeah but i i dabbled in in all that stuff eventually i had like a baptism in the holy (laughs) spirit experience which is where you speak in tongues speaking in tongues is where you are praying and you allow your emotions to take over and you start babbling whatever and that's, but that's an angelic prayer language that you're using. It's not just babble. You're the Holy Spirit is praying through you, and its physical manifestation is this babbling, the speaking in tongues, whatever. So that's what I did. I did that. The pro, I did prophecy. Like I feel like you know, I you you if you're prophesying, you go to somebody else. Like I feel like God is saying to you, you know whatever like god god really loves you or god and sometimes yeah, it's people... very uh there's my experiences with pentecostalism as it's very kind of intuitive where there's a lot of you get a little bit of a feeling in one direction right. and you go with that and you get yeah you know, so and even like speaking in tongues you kind of work yourself up and you get you know those things and um to get back to what we had talked about just a second ago is like i I don't know what to do with that exactly. I, I will say, I think it's, I, the more I've, um, and uh, offline you and I were talking about my book coming up, um, the, the, which is on psychedelics and kind of um, what's going on with that. And the more I've, I've thought about it, I, I do think a lot of times real stuff is going on. Um, I do think at any time we talk about a spiritual experience, um, I think there's a necessary question in that, which is what spirit and um, in American culture, Western culture today, when we say someone's spiritual or we had a spiritual experience, there's always the assumption that that's a good thing. Um, but I do think there's that question of like, what spirit, uh, because there's a lot of bad spirits, you know, from a biblical perspective and from a historical st- standpoint, there's a lot of bad spirits. So yeah. I do think uh, like there's, in, in my personal mind, like there's this little bit of concern with like just opening yourself up to spirits and yeah. you know, talking in time. Like, it's just like, what, okay. So there's no discernment there. There's got, there should be some discernment, but I don't know what, uh, if, and there's, if, well, actually, so, uh, exorcism is also in Pentecostal circles, the, the idea that people will get possessed by evil spirits, whatever, and you have to exercise them out. And there's a book, uh, I don't know if you've ever read this uh, pigs in the parlor. No. Oh man. That's an old, old manual for people, for Protestants that are trying to exercise demons out of people. Interesting. Yeah. Check it out. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll link that in the thread. Um, Yeah. I I did that stuff too. Um, How do I feel about it now? I, I still don't know. But to your point, I mean, the Bible talks about evil spirits and actually I think you know, we were talking about Eastern Orthodox a minute ago, they seem to be very in tune with that idea that there are also evil spiritual experiences that you can have and you need to guard against that. Yeah. Yeah. Seem to talk about it in a better way than a lot of 
because cessationists like Calvinists, reform people don't really talk about that at all. It's not really. Um, yeah, Ro Roman Catholicism talks about it a lot, too. Even like this current pope who seems like just this kind of secular, regular dude. He even talks about, you know, so it is interesting that it yeah, is, Cal Cal Calvinism is um, we need to have a, a denominational episode at some yeah. point in time. But Calvinism is a weird deal because it's borders on atheistic in a lot of its views. Uh, sure. it's, I think it's the secessionism or whatever, but uh, it's very um, dismissive of a lot of spiritual stuff um, and kind of limits things down to um, limits things down to kind of the sovereign God and yep. everything, everything else is viewed with a, a bunch of suspicion. So it's kind of yep. interesting. And hopefully I'm not being unfair. You can. No, speak. yeah. Yeah. I but think the, it's, yeah. It, it is like I, I wrestle with that idea a lot now that because now well and we'll get to this but I I am a Christian now and I identify more as reformed than I do anything else I haven't not I've not gone back to the Pentecostal stuff um but yeah like, I think that this is definitely worthy of another conversation the oh and the faith healing so and I remember one time one of the teachers that I followed was this guy named smith wigglesworth if you're not familiar smith wigglesworth was a pentecostal type preacher in early 20th century england and he what people say that he actually raised somebody from the dead at one point i don't believe that's ever been confirmed but like yeah the faith healing and then when he would exercise demons from people he would he would hit them it's like punch like he punch he would like pray like you know, in the name of jesus you know expel whatever and like punch you in the chest <laughs> like that so that if, if you see people doing that today because that still happens not very often but yeah. that's where that practice comes from really is smith wigglesworth nice kind of nice. popularizing that method of exorcism yeah punch punch the devil out yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um so, and there's a lot, the Christian mysticism is, is really like, so I also got into International House of Prayer in Kansas City, headed by Mike Bickle. The International House of Prayer started September 13th, 1999. I still remember that. They started 24-7 worship and prayer. So if you were to visit their, locate their campus in Kansas City, you could go like at two in the morning go to their campus, there's going to be a worship band, prayer leaders. They have the a rotation of people. That's that's their job. Like people will donate to this organization. That's crazy. I've never never heard of, heard of that. So is that still the case? You go there yeah. anytime, 24 hours a day. Yep. Yeah. Wow. They've been okay. doing that since 1999. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, that's it's, pretty cool. Yeah, I'll, yeah. Uh, it's I've been to a couple of their conferences. But yeah, very charismatic. They're part of the whole. Uh, in 1977, there was a charismatic. So, so charismatic is another word. So there's Pentecostalism. And then charismatic is sort of a umbrella term used for people who share a lot of the same beliefs as Pentecostal, but they don't identify as Pentecostal, but they still do the same, like faith healing, speaking in tongues, 
yeah. all, prophecy, all these yeah, things. Yeah, I know charismatic uh, Lutherans. I know charismatic okay. so, uh, Catholics. And, um, in it's... 1977, there was this charismatic conference in Kansas City at the Arrowhead Stadium. Mm-hmm. And there were Catholics, Lutherans, Messianic Jews, like a, a ton of different... I don't know if East Orthodox was there, but there was every other Christian denomination was at this comp, but they were all, they were all charismatic. Yeah. Um, yeah. I feel like Eastern Orthodoxy wouldn't put up with that crap. But <laughs> <laughs> I like just knowing their attitude. Like, I feel yeah. like, yeah, we're not going to do that. Yeah. That, that, yeah. That'd be interesting. But yeah, they, and fr- so there was the whole Kansas city prophet movement in the eighties where you had your signs and wonders you know, old uh, end times prophecies that really got going in the 80s. And Mike Bickle, uh, who happens to be a Kansas City resident, was a part of that movement. And then in 1999, he founded IHOP, International House of Prayer, not to be confused with International House of Pancakes. And yes, to this day, you know, over 20 years later, they're still doing 24-7 worship. That's why I got really into that stuff. Uh, the problem with uh, pro- what's uh, I'll have to share this clip. There's, so the whole prophecy thing, you know, the, Mike Bickle, as far as I know, he still believes the uh, this idea that Jesus will come back when there's enough people that are calling for Jesus to. So the really the like the idea that the church. The, there's not a, there's not really like a set time when Jesus is going to come back. It's when the church as a whole is calling for Jesus to come and physically have his kingship on the on the earth. That's when things will happen. That's not a that's not a uh, common belief in Christian circles that the human race can bring about the end times. But that's you know. They, they, they can they kind of have different heretical teachings. The other big problem is, so they have all these different prophecies, like every conference that you go to, there's like, oh, here's what's going to happen like this. You know, I don't know that they predicted COVID or Russia, Ukraine or anything like that, that, that which is kind of the problem with a lot of these prophecy things. It's like, it's very vague. It's very like, oh, something big is going to happen this year. And then something happens like, oh, look, I predicted that. Like, um, Did you though? Did you really? <laughs> and he even said, there's a clip of him where he explains like, look, like 80% of what we prophesy as like, thus saith the Lord, 80% of that stuff does not come to pass. Well, then you're like, well, that's kind of a problem then, isn't it? Like maybe you should pump the brakes. <laughs> On the thus saith the Lord. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, and, and if you look at the Old Testament, the laws against false prophecy were strict yeah, capital strict. i mean it was capital yeah. punishment yeah if you're a yeah. false prophet yeah. that's a capital punishment anyway yeah that yeah. was involved with all that and what was frustrating was i i always found myself in this cycle of trying to do things to earn god's favor so getting really on fire for god prophesying prayer leading prayer stuff like prayer get togethers whatever but then I would always burn out and stop going to church and doing whatever. It was just this constant cycle. Um, and so I, I could never, I, I, looking back at it now, I was, 
I was trying to earn my salvation, I think is what I was trying to do. I felt like what God had done for me, becoming my father after mine abandoned me, like I, I, I felt I had to earn that somehow. And that prompted me to just, you know, go hard and burn myself out and just, I could never, I could never relax and enjoy the grace and mercy that I had received. <laughs> That's um, interesting. So eventually I joined the Navy and this is, this is when one of my down cycles, I was down in Pensacola, Florida for my school. I met my wife while I was there. We met at a dive bar called Boomers with three Z's at the end, a very classy place, <laughs> right off base. Nice. $5 pitchers of beer, $2 shots. I was basically like an alcoholic at that point. Like I would go and chase. So typically um, the holiness movements, the charismatic uh, Pentecostal movements are anti-alcohol. There's, there's a, a, an anti-alcohol bent to them. Um, so you must have already fallen out of all that. Right. And now it's just, yeah, you're doing your thing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of my, one of my lapses, whatever. Okay. So yeah, I, I would go and, and get shots of whiskey and chase them with beer, which if you know anything about drinking, you never mix liquor, you never mix beer and alcohol, but I would do that. So then when I staggered back to my room in the barracks, I would be able to throw up and then go to bed. And because I didn't have any alcohol, I I'd gotten it all out of my system. I would wake up. Usually I would wake up like fine the next day. I wouldn't be hung over anything. So it was like this, this sort of system of like going to, going to get drunk, cleaning myself out and then starting all over the next day, whatever. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I like it. I'll try that. <laughs> try that sometime. I, I don't recommend it. I don't recommend it. Okay. Um, then I got, so I got married and my wife's Christian that prompted me to start taking it more seriously. So then we got stationed in Maryland. We started attending a church. It was like a, I think they're Southern Baptist affiliated. And we attached with a young adult group. So it was, uh, af the name of the group was after college before kids. So most of the people there were college grads. I was not a college grad at the time. So I'm not sure how we got in, but they're, but they're married, but they don't have kids yet, but they're all Christian. So we had part of this Bible study, got really, really close with these guys. And we were with them for probably, I think it was over two years. We were the first couple to have a kid. So we stopped being the before kids group. Yeah, bumped out. <laughs> <laughs> with, well, so we stayed stuck around. And then the we, we had gotten so big that they were looking at breaking us up into smaller groups and different couples were going to lead different groups. So Dan, my wife and I were looking at doing exactly that. I still don't, not quite sure what happened. I just, we had mentioned that we were interested in doing it and we were on vacation. We went on vacation. We came back to an angry email from somebody in the group that said, I, I can't believe that you guys are looking to start a group outside of the authority of the church and just all this 
can't believe you're doing all this. But I'm like, like, how, what are they even talking about? What I have no idea what. Apparently, some people felt that we hadn't gone through the proper channels, but we we had never we never officially started anything yet. We we were just in the talking phases. So I'm not real. I don't know. Like maybe I made a mistake in how I was communicating this to other people, but we hadn't officially started anything. But it was just like a weird church dynamic thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah. but no, okay. so people, yeah. so, but here's the thing people felt like we were doing this outside the authority of the church, whatever, but nobody ever confronted us. What they did instead was they sent an email to everybody else that did not include my wife and I. They sent an email to everybody else and basically warned them to avoid us. So then when I confronted them about that, they said, well, we felt like what you're doing, like, well, like, why didn't you tell me? Like, if you feel like I'm doing something wrong, like, let me know, like, confront me about it. Don't just go behind my back and and tell everybody to avoid that. So we were very, very (laughs) hurt, very, very hurt. Stopped attending that church. Um. My wife was grieving over the hurt and wasn't interested in going to church at that time. I'd always been interested in Messianic Judaism. So I use that as an opportunity to start exploring Messianic Judaism. So for those who don't know, Messianic Judaism is the idea that it's you take Judaism, but it's coupled with Jesus as the Jewish savior. Right. So they believe that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. Um, Gentiles, and and in fact, I think most people who attend Messianic Jewish synagogues are Gentile. But that's you you go to synagogue on Saturday, like a traditional Jewish worship service, read the Torah, all, all that stuff. And it's a really interesting pitch too. what they have is the you had like, hey, this is what first century Christians did, right? First century Christians worshiped on Saturday, the traditional Sabbath. They took the Torah. The Which I, by the way, I, I, dis, I disagree with some of that, but yeah, okay, okay, sure. I'm sorry, I keep going. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, they, they took the Old Testament law seriously. They kept kosher, all these different things. So I was like, oh man, like this is this is true authentic Christianity right here. And I got into it. Um, eventually, so so this particular synagogue that I was attending, they would have the worship service in the morning, and then they would have lunch, and then they would do like a, just a regular kind of Bible study afterwards, kind of digging more deeply into the scriptures. So it was during that time, the Bible study. And before we got going, our rabbi mentioned like oh by the way we need to keep so and so in prayer she had recently she recently had her her home was flooded recently and her basement has gotten moldy and then as an aside he said now we know in torah we are taught to when you're the foundation of your home is moldy that you're supposed to destroy the home but obviously we're not going to do that and just, you know, bubble. And he, and he just mentioned that as an aside, probably didn't think twice about it, but that hit me like a ton of bricks. The whole idea behind Messianic Judaism is that you take the law super, super seriously, right? You observe kosher, you don't eat pork, like all the, all those things. Right. And 
Messianic Jews, or people who follow Messianic Judaism pride themselves on the fact that they actually take the law seriously um, and much more seriously than their brothers and sisters in other Protestant or Catholic traditions. So for him to just brush that aside, brush that aside yeah. so easily uh, and like, yeah. so then I was like, wait, are we all just, are we all just making this up? Are we all just, we just find what we see in the Bible and we just like, oh, I like that. I don't like that. It's just this buffet of ideas and you just pick whatever you like and that's your that's what you believe like how do you know any of this is true sure so that's when i started exploring atheism you know, i think most people are familiar well maybe not maybe this, there's a newer generation of folks now that maybe never saw chris hitchens the hitch slap compilations on youtube <laughs> christopher hitchens was a probably the most popular atheist back in the 2000s 2010s yeah so like for yeah for young people there there was a movement in i don't even know what year late 90s early 2000s it was called the new atheism movement and um had a number of prominent figures i think there was four like big ones right there was christopher hitchens who was an englishman died five to ten years ago i don't remember when he died but um and then there was Richard Dawkins, who is still going strong, although he's like a million years old. And then there was Daniel Dennett, that was yep. a philosopher, who I know the least of the four. Um, and then Sam Harris, um, yep. who I've referenced uh, on my own in my own writings and have read quite a bit of. Um, but those those four, and it was a it created their. Um, philosophy or their kind of style was not just that christianity was wrong or that theism was wrong but that it was evil it was bad right and there was there was a giant it was it was created like a a generation of combative atheists it created a generation of people that weren't um satisfied to just have an intellectual discussion about whether atheism was true or not they insulted atheists. They didn't believe, or Christians and, right, and right. theists. They they thought it was not worthy of respect. You know. Yeah. So um, yeah, but, it's a superstitious nonsense. Um, it, Christianity, <clears throat> religion causes you to believe things like you know Sam Harris talks about how religion makes good people do evil things. That's uh, religion is the only thing that's capable of doing that taking good people and making them do evil things. You can only do that with religion. You know, it's one of the things that Sam Harris likes to say. And Christopher Hitchens, his magnum opus, religion poisons everything. Yeah, there's a, there was a big push that religion, Christianity in particular, is the root of all evil. And our society would benefit greatly from ridding it of the shackles of this superstitious nonsense and secularism, science, progressivism, you know, these are the things that will lead us out of these religious dark ages and into a better, more moral, more accepting, tolerant society. Uh, atheism is how you get this, the bedrock to this utopian future. Right, which when I think of moral, uh, utopian um 
tolerant communities, I think of atheists. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So they're so nice. Yes. Um, And always very moral. So speaking of, um, so Matt Dillahunty was another prominent atheist, not, not as well known as Hitchens and Harris, everybody else. But he was big part of there was the this radio program out of Austin, Texas. This group of atheists had a call-in show. Matt Matt Dilly the Matt Dillahunty was a part of. So you could call in and debate with atheists. So there's pl- plenty of plenty of their stuff on YouTube. You can go and watch it. But yeah, Matt Dillahunty was a big part of that. And yeah, so which is funny. Speaking of the how tolerant and, and loving atheists are matt dillahunty has really he's he's as far as i know last time i saw him on twitter i don't know if i'm blocked or something i'll have to go check but he uh has fully embraced the whole transgender movement you know trans women are women trans men are men all that stuff and if you fail to acknowledge that then you're evil and that, that he was posting about it and there was a, a woman that got on there matt i'm i understand what you're saying i'm trying to adjust but it's hard to something about how we have we have to now we live in a society where we have to accept a penis in female only spaces and i'm having a hard time adjusting to that and it's you know that's all she, that's she was making it like a very good faith and he he just trashed her like well like this is your bigotry and blah, blah, like good grief. Like, like, can't, can't you accept that this is a very radical recent change and people are, even people who fully believe it are maybe some are going to take some time to acclimate to it. No, yeah, they're yeah. part of the problem. <laughs> You're turf. You're evil. Right. Right. Oh, that just beautiful tolerance there. Yeah, <laughs> Thank goodness he was an atheist because he would have handled that poorly if he was. <laughs> <laughs> right. So it's. Um, <clears throat> but but so for me, this idea that you only you only believe in things that you see, you only believe in things that make sense to you. That was super appealing to me. Uh, I no longer had to subscribe to ideas that didn't make sense to me anymore. I mean, we kind of talked about this in the first episode, but like the idea of a virgin birth or the idea that Jesus, if he was a real person, that his death on the cross would have any relevance to someone like me 2000 years later. I no longer had to believe those things, explain those ideas, didn't have to defend them. That was great. I could just, you know, like the Hitchens and Harris, like I just, I released myself from the shackles of my superstitious backgrounds and only believed in things that I had real evidence for. So that was seven years. So so up until this year, I was an atheist, but that was seven years of me being an atheist. And my wife stayed a Christian that whole time. It was, uh, she stuck by me, which, you know, shout out to my wife. (laughs) She stood by and we, I, I, we didn't do Christian things anymore. I didn't pray. We didn't pray at dinner. I didn't talk to my kids about God. We would still go to church, but if my kids would ask me questions about God or whatever, I would tell them what I thought. I never, 
I never pushed my atheism, but I also didn't like hide my atheism from my kids either. Um, so yeah, which yeah, that's um, when I talk to atheists, that's one of the saddest things is like them teaching their kids because uh, kids just have this natural faith and it's a beautiful there's nothing more awesome than a kid um loving jesus and being mm -hmm. a part of the church and it's it's so sad when uh when atheists are squelching that in their kids but um yeah yeah for sure yeah i um there was definitely times where i felt tempted to squash these superstitious ideas whatever whenever they popped up but i um you know unless my kid asked me directly i never i just like if anything well you know and because i remember too the first president of the atheists in america or american atheist organization she was staunchly atheist and had her kid very involved with atheism stuff. Well, he's actually a believer now. And in large part, he was prompted by what he saw the hatred that his mom had for Christianity. And that prompted him to look more closely at Christianity. So I'm like, well, I'm not going to make that mistake. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. Didn't want to be vehemently opposed to it. So anyway, so seven years later, um, COVID happened. Well, that, yeah. So, so COVID started happening. And I remember like February, March, I was starting to freak out about COVID. As a country, we still hadn't really started worrying about COVID yet, but I was on Twitter a lot and there were people posting videos of hospitals in Italy getting overrun with COVID patients. I'm like, yeah, it's only a matter of time before that happens here. But yeah, people had... die in the, the Chinese videos of people like, just walking down the street and falling down. Yeah. Yeah. And it was just like, oh my goodness, you know, this is like from a movie, which I don't know if the Chinese did that intentionally, which is very possible, or if it's just like Twitter stupidity or whatever. But yeah. just like it, I still it don't was, know. yeah, it, it was weird, weird stuff for sure. So so then Trump mentions that COVID is going to be dangerous. And of course, the media and all these big figures. We're lambasting him like, no, it's freaking out about nothing. And we're going to be fine because, you know, <clears throat> I got really I noticed that, too, like the whole Trump thing. He would say, you know, the sky is blue and everybody's like, no, it's not. You're yeah. Just you're like whatever. Say whatever kind of just argue, disagree with him about everything. Yeah, I sincerely believe if he had gone hard after covid you know, in the same, let's lock down forever. Let's, you know, like if he had done kind of the, what the Democrats wanted, but done it first, their response would have been the opposite. I like, I sincerely believe the well, reason. That's, I mean, that's initially like, what happened. Yeah, so then yeah. in April, it came to America and still people were, you know, Bill de Blasio, the mayor of New York city was telling people, Hey, this is, you know, don't freak out about this China virus. You can still go to Chinatown and eat and all that, you know, AOC, yeah. same thing. Yeah, like encouraging it, people to get out, right? Yeah, encouraging people to get out. And then May, people that's when people finally, the narrative started to change a bit. But then George Floyd happened. And now we need to go and do all these major protests. And and people are like, hey, aren't these like super spreader events? No, no, no. These are not super spreader. Well, no the, scientific evidence. That was like that moment 
was when it was a real like red pilling moment for me where my whole life I had, um, I had just assumed that organizations like WHO and CDC were generally speaking, well thoughtful doctors, seriously kind of scanning the horizon for potential pandemics and like making good sane recommendations in terms of what we need to do to avoid them. I always thought they were kind of, the, those organizations were looking out for us. And then the George Floyd riots happened and there was a giant organization of doctors that came out and said, "Yes, these are okay because racism is the real pandemic. Racism is <laughs> and the I, real pandemic. I racism saw that is- I'm like, holy cow, like the, it turns out these are just political organizations like everything else. And like, they don't, yeah. like they, they're, they're not looking out for us. Were they over- don't care, right? Like. There were over 600 doctors and scientists that had signed a letter saying that racism was more deadly than COVID. Yeah, which was, for me, was just, I I was like, okay, that was the last, like, at that point in time, all the, like, believe the science stuff, all that was gone for me. Like, I just was like, oh, okay, it's all fake. Like, I mean, not necessarily the whatever, but, like, I was like, they, their opinion of things is fake. I don't trust anything they say from this point forward. And, um. That was well, and so that was a huge the whole trust the science thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The whole the whole trust the science. So whenever you were like, hey, uh, what's what evidence are they using to say that racism is more deadly than COVID? Well, you have to trust the science, you have to trust the experts, we were told, right? Yeah. You have to you have to accept the fact that there are people who are smarter than you who have studied these things, they've been able to make these determinations. And we, as the lay people, need to accept what our priestly order of scientists have determined and get in line and and, fought and do what we're told. Yeah. I So with somebody with my religious background, I was like, the, the whole tr- trust the science, trust the experts, that's faith-based language. Like you're yeah. asking me to just set aside my skepticism and accept things solely on faith. Yeah. And that was a huge, you know, you use the term red pill. Yeah, that was a big red pill moment for me with my atheism was, wait a minute, like all of us are using faith where all of us are believing in things that we don't fully understand. Yeah. That really caused me to step back and examine my own beliefs, my atheism. Um, Yeah, that was a big... I don't know what you call it, like a de-evolution or whatever. But yeah, Decon- I was like deconstruction. Deconstruct. Yeah. There, I think yeah, there's yeah. the term yeah. deconstruction. Yeah, we de. I deconstructed my lack of faith or my faith in atheism, yeah. whatever. Which is, I mean, um, one of the fundamental problems with atheism, and kind of going back to the beginning of your uh, atheistic journey, um, one of the the fundamental issues is this idea of we should only believe things that are based on evidence, right? So yep. we, we say that, and because we're all Western and post-enlightenment people, we all, that sounds like it makes sense. Yeah, only believe things that are based on evidence. And a lot of times Christians will say that too. It's like, oh yeah, we should only believe what's based on evidence. It is literally impossible to believe everything based on evidence. Like it's, that is, it's philosophically literally impossible to only believe things based on evidence. Because, and it's the whole turtles all the way down thing, is when you go through life and I say, okay, so um, why do you believe that? 
and you say, well, even real basic stuff. So like you say, why do you believe in gravity? And you say, well, I believe in gravity because uh, I drop something and it falls. And I'm like, okay, so uh, how do you, uh, you know, how do you know that that's gravity? You know, do you, you know, how do you calculate or whatever? And you say, well, it relates to the stars. And, the, and I'm like, have you personally done that? And you say, no, but scientists have. And like, point to Isaac Newton and you say, okay, well, so do you trust Isaac Newton? And have you verified what he sure. did? At, at some point in time, you're like, well, I just kind of trust what I've been told, right? At some point in yeah. time, eventually you're forced to just like trust the testimony of someone, whether it's a scientific magazine, whether or, or a journal, whether it's a, a science teacher from your high school, or whether at some point in time you say, I just trust that what they're telling me about that chemical reaction or that physical property, I just trust that that's true. And we go through life and almost everything we just trust on testimony. So we go through, like, for example, you, your wife says, Hey, I'm going to the store. And she comes back and she's got groceries, and you trust that she went to the store in. You know, if evidentialism is true, you'd say, well, I need to see the video that you were actually at the store and yeah. you didn't steal those groceries from the neighbor or whatever. Like <laughs> the, the, the fact is we, we can't believe everything based on evidence. We have to believe things based on testimony and testimony, not evidence is tends to be how we come to understandings of truth in this world. And um, that idea of like if i don't see the evidence that's kind of gets back to what i was saying about the parents by the way that book is called shot of the shot of faith to the head and okay. um it is uh written by mitch stokes and okay. uh yeah it's a it's a good book and it touches on some of the stuff i'm talking about but um it, it, in essence it's this idea that like we you know it's it's okay to believe things based on testimony. Now you're, you could say, well, you know, what if you were raised in a Hindu family or whatever, like you, you believe your parents based on testimony. I would say there's nothing illogical about trusting your Hindu parents if they're reasonable parents. Um, now, obviously that runs into a problem. Like if you want to determine you have a Christian and a Hindu and they're like, well, my parents said this, and my parents said this, Obviously, there has to be some discussion there of like, okay, well, they can't both be right. Like, mm -hmm. how do we work that out? Right. But the the simple following of your parents up to that point was totally reasonable. And totally so the the testimony when you have, you know, if you if you say, you know, your wife went to the grocery store, she got groceries, came back, and your wife says, Well, I really did. And then you have someone else you trust, like your neighbors, like, yeah, actually she stole those groceries off my porch. Like at that point in time, you may need to like do some investigation, right? Yeah, like yeah. At, at that point in time, you may need to look into it. But until that moment, until there was a good reason to question that testimony that you've been given, there's nothing illogical about following that testimony, right? And that's, that's something that I think atheists don't understand is that trustworthy testimony is something that we is good for us to follow and is necessary for us to follow to get through life. We even, even the testimony of our own um, eyesight and hearing sure. and the testimony so, of our own rationality or whatever, those are, those are necessary elements of it. So um, what, I, what I would have said back when I was an atheist to that charge of, we need to accept people's testimony and say, yes, we do. But 
the so we're looking at the testimonial claims of Christianity, and you find you, I can show you contradictions in the Bible. I can like the testimony, like the recorded testimonies. You know, this letters, the gospel accounts that we have are written seventy years after the fact. So there's all, and so I'll, I would point then point as atheists would say yes, but I then point to all these different reasons that would preclude me from accepting the testimony the accounts of Jesus um, in the Bible. So, but anyway. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that's one of the things that I tried to do is, you know, just in my interactions with atheists is to answer some of those questions of like, yeah. Oh yeah. The contradictions aren't actually contradictions and like this, you right. know, those kind of things. And like, um, I think the Bible actually is incredibly well attested to. And, uh, you know, the, the whole atheist we don't even know if jesus existed is like ridiculous you know like it's for a historical document and historical events it is amazing how well documented those are i right. mean it's just like Relative. it's an incredible it's an incredible thing um you look at things that happened in the ancient world and the number of things that don't have any contemporary sources or sources right. that were written 400 years later about that event is incredible like hannibal like the story of hannibal um anybody that doesn't know this was like a century before uh julius caesar or you know this was um prior to uh the roman empire hannibal almost defeated rome he went came from carthage went up through um through the mountains came down into italy um was within miles of rome almost defeated them wiped out the whole roman army there were no contemporary accounts of that <laughs> like so zero contemporary accounts of hannibal like this giant figure um, well, therefore your faith in hannibal is not warranted Lewis. yeah yeah exactly yeah he, <laughs> he probably didn't exist <laughs> <laughs> yep and it's and to that point there the accounts in the new testament there are no better for the for that ancient world period in time there are no better documented events than what we have recorded for the time of jesus it's yeah it's amazing like uh, the the new testament is 27 different works right and then in addition to that you have some roman you have josephus writing in the the uh, 90s ad you have uh, various romans account roman accounts and then you have other christian accounts that's what people don't realize is there's like Clement of Rome wrote 90 AD. The Didache was written in 90 AD. You have Ignatius of Antioch was written in 110 AD. So you have all these other Christian documents, Shepherd of Hermes, et cetera, all these other Christian documents, all attesting to the same thing. So like, it's not just the 27 books of the New Testament, which by itself is amazing. You know, go back to Hannibal, like zero contemporary accounts that we have. Um, and even you know, Julius Caesar and some of those accounts, like we don't have that many documents of from that era, like just mm -hmm. nowhere near the same number of documents. And um, then you throw in the the Roman, the Jewish accounts, the, uh, the other post-biblical Christian accounts is, is pretty, pretty remarkable. Like it's an amazing thing. It yeah. could not have been more documented than yeah. it was uh, for a, for an obscure part of the Roman empire um to have an event that has so many different camera angles looking at it is pretty crazy yeah 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 you're absolutely right um so that revelation that we all use faith in varying degrees 
was a big, as obvious as that probably is to Christians and other people of faith, like that was a big thing for me. Um, so I, I took that. My next big hurdle was, okay, if religion can be true, which what which one is possibly the most, which one's more likely to be true? And one of the things I looked at was, I, I, I don't know why this is, but atheists are very much about like, well, which ideas bring about the biggest net benefit to the human race? Because those are the ideas that we need to engage with. Now, I don't know how they, I, I couldn't I couldn't justify that belief back when I was an atheist. I don't know how atheists justify the idea that what we need to do, whatever brings the biggest net benefit to the to mankind or to the earth, whatever, that's what we need to do. We're morally obligated to do whatever those things are. I don't know how they justify that. I couldn't have justified it, but that's but I looked at, okay, let's take each ideology, religion, whatever, which one has produced the biggest net benefit for the human race. And I think whatever unit of measurement you want to use, I don't see how you could conclude that Christianity is by far the best in terms of literacy and women's rights, property rights, all these things have Christian origins. Like, the, like, don't you find it odd that you look at the rest of the world where that doesn't have a Christian background and you don't see these institutions that we in the West have grown to take for granted? Yeah, and like the, the uh, creation of a social safety net, um, you know, like a, a welfare system. People are like, oh, the Romans gave to the poor. No, they actually gave to poor citizens, but they didn't give to, if you were not a citizen, you and famine came, they'd drive you out of the city, right? Like they didn't, they didn't have this care for the poor as though they're Jesus attitude that the Christians did. Like that's an innovation of Christianity, public hospitals, the innovation of Christianity, um, the uh, end of slavery um, globally was a new idea. Like the idea of like ending the slave institution was something that nobody had, I mean, like very, there was, occasional thinkers that had speculated on it or whatever but like in terms of a widespread movement that's a christian innovation and um the uh you you can just go through christian history and like reform after reform after reform after reform after reform after reform all the things we view as as a good society you go back and you say okay who came up with this idea and what were their what were their religious convictions and they're, they're like christian you know like yeah. it's wild and now atheists will respond they'll say well everybody was christian which by the way is verifiably false like there was lots of skeptics of christianity voltaire whatever like there was lots and lots of skeptics of christianity and not to mention the fact that we the christian west was less than a third of the world there's still two thirds of the world. Why didn't they come up with these? You know, like where, exactly. where, you know, where was exactly. the other? Like, why didn't? Why yeah. wasn't this developed by animists in Africa or or Buddhists in in um, Southeast Asia or like, uh, you know, like wh why did it come? Why was it over and over and over again? Like year after year after year, innovation after innovation. Why were all these reforms to society that took us from? I mean, uh, if you read Tom Holland's Dominion which is a very interesting book. Um, uh, 
he talks about the fact that uh, Nazism really was an effort to go back to ancient Rome. Like even that, that raising the hand, the Heil Hitler, that was similar to Hail Caesar, right? That was that, that okay. Nazism was an effort to go back to ancient Rome. And, it, and uh, Tom Holland talks about the fact that ancient Rome really had the philosophy of Nazis, like in terms of kind of looking down on softness, uh, uh, looking down on mm-hmm. compassion and mercy. Um, that was an attempt to roll it back. So if you think about the world in zero AD or one AD, was a um was a nazi culture (laughs) you know the roman Mm -hmm. empire was like if the nazis won roman empire is what it looked like and um you go from that to you know all the principles that we have of like of course we should protect the poor of course the weak of course the little old lady has equal value to the rich corporate ceo we say that like of course you know like thomas jefferson is like all men are created equal. Um, well, that like only in a Christian culture does that right. phrase does that make, even sense? make sense. Like it makes no sense in any other culture. The concept of human rights is a Christian innovation. Like that, yep. that the universal human rights is a Christian innovation. And it's wild. Like if if Christopher Hitchens is right and religion poisons everything, um, imagine how good. Christianity would be without Christianity. Like, I mean, like, it's like this wild, like how right. in the world well, did we come up with it one after another? And, and where were the atheists all along the way? Because they did exist. We can find their writings. They well, absolutely did. And, and that they, we, we, and there. we also historically know what happens when atheists are in charge. We look at the French yeah. revolution, Soviet Russia, communist China, Vietnam, yeah pot you know like you just all yeah all all efforts to rid themselves of their super superstitious past and just these massive massacres now the the response that atheists will say to that is well northern europe is some of the most atheist countries in the world look at how great they are now my response to that is a um still like two thirds of those populations identify as christians You you do a poll they identify as christians um their government in almost all those countries is still officially Christian. Their thousands of years of law history are based on Christianity. So they've got this huge Christian history. They've never liked the Soviets or like uh, the East Germans or whatever. They never have rejected religion officially and driven it out of their society as a matter of, or, or tried to reinvent society around a religious principles. So, um, Still Christian countries, still Christian history, never a overt rejection of that. Um, so bad examples in terms of like, if you wanted to point to atheism, you wouldn't pick a country that's still two thirds Christian and officially Christian in their way as like this example of- And, this, use, uh, and using institutions that right. evolved from Christian origins. Yeah. And furthermore, I will say on the warning side for Northern Europe and for the US and everywhere else, you look at what's happened over the last, 30 years, 50 years, and you can see the growing atheism has absolutely had some negative effects. And like, whether it's, you know, atheists will be like, you know, I'll I'll be like, well, Christians ended infanticide in Rome. Infanticide was widespread, common, to the point where Rome had a population problem. Like they were trying to like encourage people to have kids because so, you know, people are averaging well below uh, replacement rates. Um, And 
much of that was driven by infanticide. And atheists will say, well, you know, like, we're, you know, we're, we've moved beyond that now. And I'm like, really? Because now abortion is becoming widespread and abortion has been embraced completely. And atheists will be like, well, that's not wrong. And I'm like, you think it's not wrong because you're atheist. <laughs> like, like you, you know, like you're obviously, you know, like if, if Christianity is needed for morals and you've rejected Christianity, of course you're okay with, with that. Like, um, so that whole idea, atheists a lot of times would be like, um, no, we can be moral without Christianity. I'm like, what are, what are your morals? Like is atheist, is, is abortion moral? And, 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 how, yes. and more importantly, yeah. how do you justify the, the right. whatever morals you decided to choose? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, that was a long rant there, but it's, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, really good points though. And which, so I, I eventually, I was still an atheist, but I had reached a point now where I completely departed from Chris Hitchens, religion poisons everything. I saw that actually what we have is all the institutions that we, like we talked about comes from religion, specifically Christianity. Uh, I had checked out Jordan Peterson too. Uh, I've, I, and I still have mixed feelings about Jordan Peterson. I never got onto the Peterson train. I always felt like, so he's, he's a skeptic to a degree, but he's definitely more of a, like religion is good with his first book maps of meaning, uh, which I read and I do not recommend that other people read it unless you're very into like Carl Jung and this sort of like esoteric, like, like, I feel like I definitely read something. I'm not quite sure what I read, but I definitely read something. That's what <laughs> Maps of Meaning is like. Um, religion is good because people evolved to develop these maps of meaning. And Peterson said, maps of meaning, religion. We have a limited amount of knowledge, but we do end up developing religion, these different rules that keep us safe, allow us to learn more, find meaning and you know, the, the hero journey, uh, you know, blah, 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 blah. It gets, it gets new agey pretty quick. But, you know, with, and with Peterson, it's always frustrating because whenever people ask him directly about whether or not he believes in God, he always like, well, what do you mean by God? Yeah. And he, yeah. he never directly answers it. People are like, dude, like, we every you know what we mean. Like, don't pretend. He yeah. does the same word games. And, and then for him to... The whole trans woman is a woman thing and people are like we can't be bending language like this well sir you bend language on <laughs> the word god when everybody yeah. else in the world knows exactly what that word means and you pretend that it's this esoteric you know what is well, what does it mean to you what is this it's, it's not a relative word like we you know what we mean yeah yeah i um feel the same way about jordan peterson where you know he has some interesting good things to say and obviously on the trend stuff he has kind of been um a positive lightning rod and i think he's had some positive effects on people um as a whole but i do believe there's um i've read you know his 12 points for a living or whatever what you know um uh, that that book and i've read a couple other things by him and watched some videos but um i've he's definitely one of those guys that i think is 
kind of an atheist but thinks that christianity is good for the world and and i think we talked about taleb last week i feel like he's in that category where i don't think taleb actually believes it personally but i think he he views orthodoxy as having some positive effects on if you follow it and follow the fasts and stuff like it's been proven to be good for the world or whatever and i i feel like um there's a lot of people out there in that category in that space that you know uh, are generally positive towards Christianity because of the effects that, you know, if you're a halfway honest person, everything we just talked about, like in terms of the positive effects of Christianity, you see it, right? So if you're a halfway honest person, you see it. Um, But I always like for Jordan Peterson and Taleb and everybody else, I'm like, well, it only works because people believe it's true, right? Like it's not (laughs) enough enough to say like, hey, it works. So we're going to follow it, right? Like you have to actually believe it um to, to follow and it i i like that you put it that way because that's exactly kind of where i ended up i believe like oh yeah christianity is the best it's better than anything else but i still didn't believe the core tenets of the faith i was still skeptical like a naturalist whatever it's like well i can't believe these things it's unreasonable yeah but then but you've got to you reach this impasse like you said where Okay, they all these people that did all these great things that built these institutions in the West that we've taken for granted, they all happen to believe the same supernatural, superstitious, whatever things. So at a certain point, don't you have to conclude that maybe there's some validity behind these claims? If it seems like they believe that there's a creator, a person behind the engine of the universe that caused the universe would it make sense that he revealed himself in this particular way in the in a particular religion that has all this evidence of like here's all these great things that happen when you believe so i really really wrestled with that idea for a while and then so march 6th of this year uh, we had just had a lot of rain and my basement flooded so i had to go up to my in-laws to grab the shop back so I could get vacuum out all the extra water that was on my basement floor. Um, I, th- I thought you were going to bring us full circle and say, you got mold in your basement. You destroyed your house. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Back to, back to messianic Judaism. Um, no, I, I did not do that. Okay. I went to get right. a shop back. And then as I'm going up there, kind, kind of almost back to my charismatic roots a little bit. I felt like I had a moment where like, I was wrestling with that idea again of like, hey, like, don't you need to actually believe like you can't just you can't just borrow the intellectual capital of Christianity without subscribing to it, can't you? And I was wrestling with that. And then I I had this like I felt like God was like, you know, like you, you have to. It's not enough for you to just intellectually acknowledge that Christianity is good. I require that you pledge allegiance to this. I require that you receive the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And so I surrendered to that. And I remember I prayed, you know, Jesus, please take me back. And yeah, so I've been getting back into Christianity. Um, So yeah, March 6th of this year. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Um, And so I, I, realized I was Christian again. So like, okay, what am I? 
like Messianic Judaism, Pentecostal, whatever. And I re-examined everything. And I, Calvinism made a lot more sense to me. And I've found myself back in my reformed roots uh, with some exceptions, of course, I'm not a card carrying cessationist, whatever, but it's what's really so, you know, my mom was really happy on two, one that I came back to faith, and then two, that I'm, I'm reformed, like, like she is, and she has been, you know, and my wife was, of course, ecstatic. And now I'm very involved, like with my kids, uh, we do the shorter catechism, which if you don't know, Reformed people point to the Westminster Confession of Faith of 1648 uh, as a big, big, big document. It's a document that was created to explain what are the, the tenets of a Christian faith, what are the things that we believe, and why do we believe that those are the things that we believe, why we believe these things to be true. So the Shorter Catechism is a list of questions and answers about yeah in the it, protestant protestant world it's in the protestant be, world it's got to be the most influential oh, uh, yes. document for uh for doctrine and and uh, uh understanding of scripture so that the westminster confession um even is influential within anglicanism and and other yeah. denominations that don't subscribe to it as a constitutional document it's just it was uh, very very influential in the uh, yep in the Christian a, West. So it, it's a list. Of, there's 107 questions and we work. I memorize these with my kids. We're up to question 22. But yeah, like if you if you ask my one of my kids, what is the chief end of man? They'll tell you the man's chief end is to glorify God, to enjoy him forever. What do the scriptures principally teach? You know, like, like all these different things. And they know these things. It's been really fun. And it's very, it's definitely different even though my mom was reformed, my dad wasn't and never was and wasn't really involved in our religious upbringing at all. So being able to sort of take on that mantle as the father and explain to my, my kids, like, this is what this is what we believe and why we believe it. We have really good conversations. Actually, I think it was last week, my six-year-old was like, why do we use he, him, when we're talking about God and that turned into a whole discussion. I was like, well, I mean, the, his, his holy scriptures use those particular pronouns. So I was like, but why can't God be a she? I'm like, well, I mean, he could be, except that that's not how he's described himself in the Bible. It, it turned into like a really big conversation. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, the, uh, there was a Babylon B headline that was something along the lines of, intolerant liberal christian refuses to use god's preferred pronouns <laughs> <laughs> oh man that's awesome yeah uh, oh. but uh yeah uh anti right in um new testament of the people of god at in the intro explains why he always refers to god as a male and he's like listen in the ancient world there were male deities and there were female deities and god throughout all his scriptures, all the followers of, of Yahweh, of God, refer to him as male, as a, a male, not a female. And um, it's intellectually dishonest, you know, just like you wouldn't call Athena uh, a, a male right? It's, or, or well, Zeus a female. 
you know, like it's is dishonest to refer to God as a female. And I would also point out that the female pronouns are reserved for his people, his church, the bride of Christ. The if you read Hosea, Hosea, Old Testament prophet, and his wife Gomar is used as a metaphor for the people of Israel and turning away from and coming back to God and you know, but it's yeah, the female pronouns are, are biblical too. They are used for his people, his church. Yeah. Um, but yeah, anyway, so that's you know, from start to finish, started out Christian, ended up in a bunch of weird Protestant places before I landed in atheism for a long seven years until this year. And, and you know, funny enough, COVID, as terrible as it is, was really a big cat um, catalyst for me to uh, renounce my atheism in a, in a very yeah, weird way. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, I, I'm glad we did this show and I'm glad uh, you were able to tell that story because it's a really amazing, uh, amazing story. And Thank you. Um, I think it'll be helpful for a lot of people. So um, that's, that's really cool. And uh, I'm glad, uh, glad you came back. Uh, Me the, too. Uh, the atheist world, I mentioned this in, I think our first podcast is like, I, and again, I kind of, um, self-identified as an atheist um for a couple of years you know in early college and um it's a dark place to be you know i don't know um i don't know how people do it um not only is it illogical and poorly thought out and um incredibly you know self-defeating philosophically um but it is if you truly embrace it, it is nihilism and it's yeah. nihilism on an epic level that um, I think if I allowed myself to believe that I would be the most nihilistic person in the world. I mean, I'm, I've, I've mentioned this in the past. I'm, I have temptations towards nihilism anyway. And like the idea that I have a, a philosophy that would full on embrace that and support that. I don't know how people do it. Like it's a, it's a, yeah. a dark, dark place to be. I think the only way you can do it is to not think too much about it, but um, right. Yeah, it's, it's, there, there is a sort of fatalism to it. You accept the utility of life, the brevity of life. Uh, but like, like I said before, it allows like a, some atheists enjoy that because then you're able to inject your own meaning into life. And being a father of four kids, like that brings a lot of, just naturally, that's going to bring a lot of meaning to your life. Like atheists who are single, who don't have a nuclear family, like, I, yeah, I don't know. And, and that might be why religionless people really, really struggle with depression, anxiety, everything, because they're... What else do they have? Yeah, yeah, and um, it's yeah, it's it's just a weird. It's like I said, a weird thing, and it's a weird fly. And there's a reason why, like almost no societies in all of history have full on embraced atheism. Even right. like you know, it's 
even you go to like societies where the government has made it an effort to institute atheism, whether it's Soviet Russia or China, or um, even to the extent that Northern Europe has kind of embraced atheism at the institutional level, which I think is true on some level, um, people reject it. You know, people tend to, even if they reject Christianity, um, even if on paper they say they're atheist, they or take on superstitions or they say, Hey, let's believe the science. Let's show our righteousness. You know, like I see these yard sciences where you walk around your neighborhood or whatever. It's like, I believe in science. I believe, uh, love is love. Love is love. I believe this. And it's like, that sounds a lot like the apostles creed. Like it's, it, it is you know, a confession it's just, of faith. Yes. Yeah, it's it's like a confession, confession of, faith. of faith that people post. And that's, that's where, and like, when you bring up, the atheist societies to like a Sam Harris or whatever, he'll say, well, they, they weren't really atheists because they started to worship the government like a religion. And I'm like, yeah, that's what always happens. Like people can't not worship something. They always worship something. So atheists, all these self-proclaimed atheists, they'll worship Richard Dawkins or they'll worship the science or they'll worship uh, their own, you know, the, the, LGBT movement is weirdly religious where there's like, you see cities where it's flags of rainbow flags all the way down the the way. And it's like, yeah, eventually you start worshiping something and whether it's like officially you're not calling it a God or whatever, but like eventually you start worshiping something. So the Sam Harris response of like, they were worshiping the government. Yeah. That's, that's what atheists do. They, yeah. they find something to worship. They don't call it a God, right? They'll call it a good government, a communist ideal or whatever. Yeah. Like, but they, <laughs> they find something to worship. And in our society, I think it's the whole science slash LGBT thing is like very much uh, become the religion of atheists in our society uh, to the point where that guy I, who I am not familiar with, but you mentioned he got so mad about. Um, oh, Matt Dillahunter. Yeah. Someone questioning LGBT on some level. And it's, probably because that's his religion it at this is, point in yeah. time. Like it's, he has a religious fervor you know, he, about that. In, yeah, so it's it's like if you called into a Christian show or whatever and started questioning the Trinity, you know, someone might get agitated, right? Same religious idea of yeah. like, um, don't, uh, don't question my religion, don't question orthodoxy. <laughs> this, is, this is the dogma, do not question it. Yeah. And if you are a progressive atheist and you haven't renounced Richard Dawkins yet like are, how progressive are you like he's <laughs> it's so weird to see Richard Dawkins one of the four horsemen of the non-apocalypse being his in recent years been really cast aside because he is a biologist he does care about scientific evidence and he, he's been caught in so many gender sex disputes and, been, yeah. And, yeah. and has been mostly found on the, the wrong side, whatever, of those ideologies. And he, he's been sort of left in the, in the wake of the consequences of the new atheism that he was promoting so heavily in the aughts and, and the tens. Yeah, the changes over the last 10 years are just insane. And it's interesting to watch whether people that had mainstream views 10 years ago for liberalism that now the view is 180 degrees different. And it's interesting to see how many people are able to switch their views 100% from 10 oh. years ago and those that aren't. And Dawkins, so, I think, is struggling with it. Like, yep. he doesn't know what to do. Um, other people are like, yeah, I completely reject what I said 10 years ago. Yep. And now I'm 100% on well, board with this. You know, to, it's like- to that, 
I don't know if you saw Dick Cheney. Yeah. <laughs> That's it was like Donald Trump's was... like, yeah. all the people on the left that are selling. They like, love Dick Cheney. Which yes. <laughs> he was, he was their arch enemy just 20 years ago. He was like. Yeah. like even 20 years evil... ago. It was like five years ago. Like just like, <laughs> and he's like the, they made, when was that movie Vice made? That was like five years ago. I think that yeah. was Dick Cheney. The whole movie is starring Christian Bale and oh yeah, 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 that yeah. wasn't even five years. That was yeah. maybe three. Yeah, so and anyway. it was like evil Dick Cheney, where yeah. he like coordinated the Iraq War, which is true, by the way. And yeah. like that was the liberal view of Dick Cheney five years ago. Now it's like Dick Cheney standing up for our country, like this great hero which, of democracy, how, and like how yeah. how how would you justify? I would really be curious if someone could like intellectually honest person justify the idea that Donald Trump is more evil than Dick Cheney. Yeah. I, I, I have no, idea. I'm not, a, yeah. I'm not a Donald Trump fan by any yeah. means, but that does like the whole, like he's this fascist dictator, blah, 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 blah. Like all this outrageous rhetoric. And then, yeah. And then it's going so far as to be like, look, Dick Cheney, this hero of democracy, like, Whoa, like this is, <laughs> this is insane. Yeah. I think the logic is like, Trump was so bad that even Dick Cheney, like even Dick Cheney <laughs> could see how bad he was. <laughs> Guys, I know, I know I've, I've done some pretty bad things, but the, like this I, blows me away. I, I know mean. I blew up 500,000 Iraqi citizens to sell more military equipment. Met but even Halliburton even oil company. Trump has gone too far for me. Yes. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Sick. Six, six. So, all right all right man well hey good uh good talking to you thanks for uh your uh your atheist journey this was interesting and yeah uh, look forward to what are some of the topics we're going to talk about in the near future i want to i i want to promote real briefly yeah please um, i've please. got a book that's coming out here in hopefully this week it's called return of the dragon and it is um a book about the use of psychedelics um, what goes on with psychedelics. I talk about some of the science, I talk about um, some of the history, and I talk about some of kind of what religions have said about psychedelics um, over past. And it's interesting, I found it, it's way more than you think. You know, we think of psychedelics as a modern invention, and actually psychedelics are go back as old as humanity. So my book's about that. And um, very fascinating, shocking results that I found that are, I think people will really enjoy. Um, very relevant to today. If you look at like Joe Rogan and others that are promoting psychedelics, we offline, we were talking about Aaron Rodgers talking about uh, psychedelics. Um, Aaron Rodgers just came out and said that he takes psychedelics as a performance enhancing drug or whatever. So that book is coming out. Follow me on Twitter I, at I am Lewis U. Or my Substack, which is lewisungit.substack.com. Uh, follow either one of those, and you will get updates. And like I said, it should be out hopefully in the next week. That's my goal is to get it out this week. Um, just doing some final touches on it. Um, so follow me there um, to to get that update. And I'd like to do a podcast on this um, either next week or the week after, yes. or whatever, so that we can kind of roll through it because it is incredibly fascinating results and i think people will uh, uh find it very interesting so yep and you can follow me at addicted to grace on twitter addicted number two grace i'll have a giant twitter thread where i post 
different examples of everything that we talked about, the Austin, Texas atheist group, uh, Richard Dawkins struggling with gender ideology, all that stuff I'll be happily post on a thread. Uh, regarding future episodes, we've got some feedback, like we want to talk about LLCs, the the bane of capitalism, libertarianism. L LLC, by the way, is Limited Liability Corporation. Yeah. Oh, and, thank you. Uh, yeah. yeah. And it, it is the idea that uh, corporations by law are um, limited in how, how liable they are, essentially pro protect stockholders and business owners from lawsuits and bankruptcy uh, proceedings um, so that you right. don't personally get punished for investing in a company. So, um, so and I, there's a lot of ethical questions around that. Yep, yep. And, and um, gold, the Fed, there was an interest in that too. But I think we definitely need to do a podcast about your upcoming book. And maybe we can do a podcast about the Euro dollar because that's, for me, when I talk about libertarianism, when I talk about the Fed and gold and Bitcoin, a lot of that stuff comes from my understanding of the euro dollars and the euro dollar market. And like we talked about before, euro dollars is not something that's widely known, that's not that's not widely understood. And maybe we could use an episode to flesh that out more and kind of lay the groundwork for future conversations about libertarians, is it good, bad, or where maybe is their ideology lacking? the Federal Reserve, how much power do they have, like the gold stand, like all that stuff, hard money, fiat currency, which I know at some point you and I are going to have to duke it out over uh, hard currency and fiat currency because you're you're a hard money enthusiast and I'm I believe I'm a fiat shill. Yeah, something should back up your currency. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, you can't uh, just have something floating out there and have it last forever. It, eventually you spiral into a hyperinflation. That's my opinion. Sure. But uh, let's, yeah, let's duke it out. That's a yeah, yeah. Future, uh, future battle. So awesome. Well, thanks everybody. Thank you, Lewis. We'll see you next time. Bye. Hey, friends. like, like, and subscribe this like video. And subscribe. Yeah. So on YouTube, like it, uh, leave a review um, on, uh, on your, wherever you get podcasts. Thank you so much. Thank you, everybody.